Hello, you're listening to Shut Up and Watch This, episode number 18. I'm Dave. I'm Ashley. We're a couple in Austin, Texas, getting to know each other better by uncovering each other's media and pop culture blind spots and sharing the must-see movies and guilty pleasures from our pasts. Each time one of us picks a movie and forces, suggests, for viewing, mm. a film that means something to us yes. that they've never seen. They, you. Me. This time, I'm the one who chose... But before we get to that, um, you may have noticed if you have listened to us for a while, we've been kind of, episodes have been coming out a little bit more sporadically lately and we're a little off schedule and we just want to apologize and tell you to thanks for hanging in there. Um, I think life just, uh, especially the start of the school year for my daughters has kind of thrown some of the summertime routines off. Well, plus in Austin when it gets cooler, that's when all the music is and we like music in addition to movies so we've been going to lots of music things yes (laughs) we're in fact taking a break before heading off to austin city limits music festival for day two yes if our voices sound at at all ragged or scratchy or tired it's uh mid-morning on a saturday after much screaming screaming shouting singing and um probably dehydration yeah okay anyway (laughs) We're, we're, we'll make an effort to get back on track, and so you guys can expect an episode uh, more more like every two weeks, like we yeah. were doing, instead of once a month or whatever it's fallen into. But um, we do thank you for listening. Um, if you do like the show, please pass uh, pass it along to your friends, and and also you know subscribe on your favorite podcast podcast app, and um, so you can see what we're up to when we do drop episodes. You'll know first. Yes. <laughs> so this time it was my turn to choose a movie. And you chose, what is it called? Oh, that's not a good sign. Yeah. (laughs) It's called Don't Look Now. Don't Look Now. It's a film from 1973 by Nicholas Rogue. It stars Donald Sutherland and Julie Christie Mm -hmm. as a a couple, the Baxters, John and Laura Baxter. He's an academic, I guess. um, He restores um, churches. Old churches, yeah. yeah. Um, So I guess... We should provide a short synopsis. Yeah, let's do that first. Yes. Uh, So in the movie, we start out uh, sort of an idyllic scene of a little girl playing in the field. Their daughter. Yeah. And um, there's another little girl, too. I don't... They have two kids. Okay. Oh, that's right. One's a son. Yes. Yes. Um, And the little girl is, like, stomping through ponds and wearing a red raincoat. And um, the it's sort of cross-cut with scenes of the parents sort of like hanging out at home doing like home stuff he's looking at slides and you know she's reading or something like that and immediately you kind of have this sense of dread and um sure enough uh there the daughter who's playing out by a pond falls in and drowns so that is the opening scene of this movie Mm -hmm. uh and then the rest of the movie takes place in venice beautiful venice but wintertime Venice, winter, yeah, completely deserted. The tourists have all gone. The hotels are closing for the winter. It's cold. Breath coming out of people's yeah. mouths. And uh, again, we still have this sense of menace throughout the whole thing. He's sort of going through his life. They're trying to get over the loss of their daughter. Their son's in school back in England. Boarding school. Um, but there's there's these older women who have some sort of foresight, I guess. Who, Two sisters, yeah. Heather and Wendy. Yes. And Heather, they, the blind woman, is a 
says, well, is basically a clairvoyant of yeah, some kind. Yeah, that's what she says. She yeah. gets feelings, she sees things, and her opening is she sees their dead daughter sitting with them at the breakfast right. table. Yeah. And she gets a sense from the couple that something terrible is going to happen in Venice. Um, so, so the rest of the movie is the wife trying to convince her husband to leave Venice one and, and then various other things transpire. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So she's alluding to the fact that <laughs> right before I hit record, which I think surprised her, was I said, can we kind of leave this spoiler free? And I don't mean we can't talk about like 99% of the movie. There just happens to be for, uh, yeah, I know that it, it's been 40 years or so since yeah. this movie came out, but there's just one last beat to the movie that that's kind of that, that kicker twist sort of like, ah, this is what it, where it's all headed. And I just think if we can leave that till the end of the show for anybody who hasn't seen the movie i think the rest of it is open game and you know fair game in terms of talking about the rest of the movie and how it looks and where it's heading but um let's i don't know i was hoping we could try and yeah because part of this show for me is like if someone i hope that some people are listening because they've seen the movies and some people are listening just because they they like the kinds of movies we select and some of them sound interesting they might want to catch up with, with them later and this is one like if you don't know about i think it's kind of obscure now i mean it's you know yeah. people don't talk about it as much but i don't know for me it it i i would love to see it for the first time again and so i want to i hope people have that experience <laughs> okay, after listening good. to this um so why did you choose this movie okay yeah why did i choose this movie um I think my choice of this movie comes down more to me wanting to show you something that I was hoping you would like based on what I know about, you know, things, the kinds of things that you do like, and less to do with like this having like some impactful, like meaningful thing in my life. Like I don't have a, I can't exactly remember when I first saw it. I would guess that it was in that sort of period when I was in, um, as an undergrad film student, um, when I used to like, you know, I was in San Diego and I used to take drive, you know, 35 minutes away to the best video store in town, Ken Video, and like pull out a bunch, you know, come home with three tapes, usually return them late, have fees and all that kind of stuff. San Diego's I, big. Yeah, it is big. <laughs> um, and so I think I saw it during that period, mm. uh, probably just on a tape or recorded off, you know, Bravo or something when I was back home. Bravo used to. Yeah. Anyway. It used to actually show movies. (laughs) It used to be sort of like Filmstruck or Turner Classics, you know. Okay. Um, Anyway, it always stuck with me because of what you what you already started to talk about: the sense of dread, the red raincoat, the that that the Venice setting. Um, All of these things come together, and I just remember this this feeling of uneasiness. This uh, that's like the work of. I don't know. There's something that comes together when a filmmaker like Nicholas Rogue really can just kind of raise the hair up on the back mm-hmm. of your neck. And I don't know if it's exactly that kind of thing for you. Now, coming back around to why I chose it for you to watch is because I know one of you, I think one of your all-time favorite films is Rosemary's Baby. And I just had this feeling like, you know, the section at the bookstore or whatever, you know, or Amazon, <laughs> yeah. or, you know, if you liked Rosemary's <laughs> Baby, you'll also like, don't look now. I just thought, well, if anybody can appreciate this, this is another sort of psychological horror film, which we don't have enough of any more, right? Horror films now tend to be more graphic and more about the violence. And every once in a while we get something like It Follows, Well, you know? Yeah. Well, I think 
I think that there was a time when we only had that. I think we're coming yeah. back around well, to more indie. Well, sort this of. is sort of my yeah. like wanting to say, here's this other one that you really need to know. I don't, I love Donald Sutherland. I love Julie Christie. I've only seen her in a handful of films. Um, Nicholas Rogue has a strange career. Um, he's made a couple other films I really like, like um, Walkabout, about the the girl and her that. brother. Well, it's another one we could do yeah. at some point. Um, the girl and her brother who are stranded in the Australian outback. Um, a beautiful film from 1971. Um, and he did uh, performance with uh, Mick Jagger and London, like weird gangster scene and all this kind of stuff. Um, but anyway... This film, the dread, the the beautiful construction of it, and the weird filmic medium. I mean, the yeah. the the editing, the cutting, the sense of like nonlinear time, and they we don't do that anymore. It, yeah. it comes out. It's but it's this like fertile period around late sixties, early seventies, where the American, or well, actually Nicholas Rogue is British, but mm. British and Americans are reacting to what's happening in European cinema, and you're seeing that European cinema stuff coming out in, um, in you know what would have been probably more mainstream movies. Yeah. Um, the French New Wave and, you know, weird editing and like diff- diff- dissonance in time and space. And um, I think it's a movie where the um, the narrative and the treatment, the film treatment, like really come together to complement each other. Like you, you can't have the same story told in a different way, I don't yeah. think. I don't know. That's probably loading up with a lot of expectations. <laughs> but really, I just wanted to share like the pleasures of this creepy movie with you. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't I actually I'm you picked this up, but I don't know if I've ever actually said this, but I love 70s psychological horror movies. I just that's like a thing for me. And like it's not some it's like something I developed like I'd be hanging out at home by myself you know, years ago and like look on Netflix and see what kind of weird like set. So I've seen like Omen, um, the original Omen. Well, you know? and, and, I, I, and these are still gaps <laughs> yeah. for me. Yeah. I didn't see very many of those. Well, I just, I like, and it's Rosemary's baby is my absolute favorite. And it's definitely an influence on those. It's definitely an influence on this movie. Mm-hmm. I think um, it comes three, four years before this but one. I just something about that. The way those movie—I don't know what film stock they use—but uh-huh. it's the tone is kind of golden. It has this like sort of beautiful kind of gray goldenness uh-huh. about it, and so that's imagery. There's another movie which actually I think was made in the early '80s called Watcher in the Woods, but it's a Disney film. I think we watched it together. But I'm not 100 percent sure we. It's finished one of it. my favorite horror movies to watch. Yeah. During Halloween time, it's not really. Again. It's a Disney horror film. But. Well, it is the month of October, which <laughs> yeah. is another reason why I chose this movie yeah. to fall now. Yeah. So um, I it's it's totally up my alley, and then of course I've I just love Donald Donald Sutherland. Like, I think this is as young as I've ever seen him. Maybe I've seen him a little bit younger in something else. But I, I think, um, I feel like MASH came a couple of years yeah. before this, but I'm not 100 or around know. the I've same never time. Seen MASH, well, so. you should go back and see. Yeah. That we Our cat is like um, attacking our sofa in a very strange way. So, um, regular listeners will know we keep a squirt bottle uh, on the table for just such occasions. <laughs> So, yeah, I, my first experience with Donald Sutherland was, of course, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the movie. Oh, I forgot he was yeah. in that. Yeah, That's something you showed me yes. for the first time. 
Um, but I just, he just has such an interesting look and his now of course he's so professor great. snow and, yeah. and throughout the hunger games films oh, and he's yeah. quite good. I forgot about that. Yeah, he is. Uh, well, in, in this film, he's a sympathetic husband and, yeah. and I feel like we're used to seeing him kind of cast in, in that like sort of a terrible authority roles or something like that. Or like distrustful characters that yeah. are sort of, you know... On... Wearing a jacket and hanging out in street uh-huh. lamps or something I like mean, that. I mean, it's the eyebrows and the yeah. eyes yeah. and um, and that voice. Yeah, he has a great voice. It's, but um, I'll watch him in anything. He's one of those that I would watch him in anything. So do you have any... I mean, like, what... We have not... We saw this movie, like two and a half weeks ago. Yeah. And we have somehow kept from talking about it at all other than <laughs> when can we record the podcast? And I'm curious now, like what are your initial thoughts of like well, how you experience I this think movie? The, it's, it's interesting because the, the opening scene, which is very short, I don't think it's more than three or four minutes where the daughter is playing and then she drowns and Donald Sutherland. Well, before she dr- or as she's drowning, I guess he gets like, he has a sense that something's happening, and so he runs outside. There's now a full-on cat fight going on. <laughs> um, he runs. He runs outside. Uh, he doesn't get there in time, but he has some sort of sense that something's going on without actually, you know, like their son doesn't come and get them. He just no. Has he this has feeling. a sense of foreboding. Yeah. He has an intuition. He gets up and goes out. Yeah, and it's already happened. Yeah. Well, and it has something to do. He has a slide that he's looking at, and there's a figure in a red hood on mm-hmm. the slide. And as he's running out, he drops it on the table and like some. Well, th- he overturns a glass yeah. of water or wine or so whatever it is they're yeah. drinking, and as, as it spills across the picture, it looks like flowing blood across yeah. the the slide, which is a slide of the church that I think he's going to restore later on, in or Venice. at least yeah. yeah. But there's also a mysterious red clad figure in the back of the image, which. Yeah. So we just have this scene where we don't know anything other than, you know, this this daughter has drowned. And then it very, it's, when you talk about editing, it just very quickly shifts to the couple in Venice. Could be six months yeah, later. Yeah, we have no idea. They've already uh, been through the initial stages of grief and mourning, and they're now a new in a new segment of their life with him, you know, on, on the job restoring this um, old church in Venice, the, the statuary and, yes. and the, um, uh, <laughs> not the glass, the, the mosaics, yeah. right? They have to get the new mosaic stones um, and placed, you know, mm. high atop scaffolds and all yes. that kind of stuff. <laughs> but they're, they've, they're now like almost like she's almost sort of like on holiday, but kind of recuperating yeah. as he goes about his job. Um, I mean his work yeah. as an academic. Um, so yeah, she's just wanders around, I guess. And there are other childs yeah. in boarding school back in England. And then things really, the story takes a turn when they meet, uh, this, this two old sisters, yeah, the blind out. woman who's a clairvoyant and her sister who f- go out of their way to to tell the wife that they see their little girl with her and that she just wants her to know that she's smiling and she's mm. okay and and she's at peace and she's with you and she's laughing and um after the initial like sort of <laughs> violent like reactions I mean not violent yeah. but like 
how can you say this stuff? The the mother's convinced. Like she sees the rain yeah. slicker. The woman describes yeah. the red, red raincoat that the girl was wearing, her golden hair, the yeah. look on her face. And she's like, there's no way she could know this. So she immediately falls hook, line, and sinker into yeah. the world of these two women and wants to learn more, wants to make contact with her daughter, wants to convince her <laughs> yeah. husband that there's something that this is there's something here and they can reconnect somehow to their daughter and I don't know. Well, that's the interesting thing is I mean this is a, what is it you call it it's 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 a a device is it a mulligan what is the thing It's uh, a, a MacGuffin. A MacGuffin, yes. Um from Hitchcock. Uh, so like having seen Rosemary's baby having the woman like sort of being taken in by these two women and they could be grifters. We don't know who they are. You know, this could be a thing they do to make money. We don't. Well, and so yeah. if you think that that's sort of what Donald Sutherland yeah. assumes, yeah. like they're old cranks, they're kind of just winding them up, whether for their own sick pleasure or for some kind of weird con. Yeah. It's, it and was, we don't know. I, I immediately went with, Oh, this storyline is going to be about her getting taken in by these women or oh, that's interesting. That's, that's, it's that's been so long a, since I've seen it for the, first time that I don't I didn't experience it that way yeah. anymore because of course I know where it's I all going I was surprised when he ended up being the sort of target of their of their of her clairvoyance you know well what she comes had out- a sense that he, something was going to happen to him yeah so I mean where the, the the clairvoyance moves from I guess they try and set up a seance yeah. to connect to to reach the daughter um but out of all of this comes uh, what was initially the sort of um, pleasure enlightening their minds that their daughter's okay and all that becomes this great sense of danger and foreboding and you must leave Venice and something yeah. terrible is going to happen. You must leave Venice. And um, by now, Laura, the wife, really believes them and thinks there's something to this. Um, and I feel like, is it around that time that their son has an accident in, um, yeah, he had back like in a England? Major, like a minor accident. Concussion. Like he hit his head or something yeah. like that. And she leaves overnight on the plane. You know, mm-hmm. like they get her out of, of Venice. That's right. You can fly to England from Venice in like an afternoon. <laughs> well, like in an hour or something, yeah. <laughs> probably. Um, so something terrible happens, but it's yeah. it's there and it's connected with their, their other child. And... Um, I don't want to just tell the whole story. Yeah. Well, (laughs) so this is, it's funny. So, but this is sort of the crux of the last third Uh of the movie is that she's gone and he he is riding on a boat in the canal, in the main canal in the Grand Canal in Venice. She has just left to go back home that morning or over or the night before. And he sees what he thinks is his wife on a on a boat with these two women sailing in another direction. So he freaks out thinking these women have stolen his wife and spends all the rest of the third of the movie. Contacting police detectives, detectives. trying to find out where the women live, yeah. trying to track them down, find out what's going on with his yeah. wife. And is she she's not really in England. She yeah. must never have gone or she's bad. You know, he's like something terrible is going on. They've kidnapped his wife or duped yeah. her or something. <laughs> You know, help. Yeah. Well, and, but that whole section of the movie has all these like great shots of him walking around Venice with the clopping of his feet on the pavement and the, the small alleyways. And he's looking across bridges that are, you know, zigzag bridges. And I'm glad you say that because 
our discussion of the movie, even though we're sort of like giving away all these, yeah. high, like telling the story as, you know, in a heated way, sort yeah. of like, it is so much more about those isolated Venice alleys yeah. and the sense of foreboding and the sense of isolation. I the, mean, yeah, this there's is, no one on the streets. It's You don't even need a lot of the story yeah. that we're describing. I mean, you do, but, yeah. but it's, just as much your experience is being in Donald Sutherland's shoes, wandering around, seeing things around yeah. corners. Well, they, um, they just all those great shots of the narrow alleyways, but the sound of it, like you can mm-hmm. hear the canal water and like lapping. Yeah. And, you know, something jumps in the water and, you know, it's just and it echoes off the stones. And this is an abandoned yeah. Venice. We yeah. said that already. <laughs> it's it, it's the wintertime. And there's actually a scene where they get lost one night. Yeah. And if. I've been to Venice before and the same thing happened to me. It's like you go, you leave your hotel and you wander and you, you go to a restaurant or something like that. And you end up in some identical place with a little canal bridge and you're not sure how to get back. Only they do that in this movie, but it's also a deserted Venice. There's nobody to ask. There's, you don't know where they are. Yeah. (laughs) And then it's that strange thing where they turn a corner and all of a sudden they're in the middle of like a public square again with shops and stuff. And it's like, Oh my God, this was around the corner the whole time. um, makes me curious about Venice like I know it's been a tourist destination for a long time but I didn't I didn't realize it went back that far like to the 70s where the majority of the people live there are you know or are just there when the tourists are there and then they go back to wherever no I don't think that's the case yeah but, I mean I think it's more like during the peak seasons it's so overrun yeah like it's really crowded so life as usual is quieter, but I mean, it still has its own, you know, fishermen yeah. and, you know, it's uh, people live there and they shop there and they, you know, it's not completely all dependent on the tourists. Well, it's, it's funny. The other movie that comes to mind that features Venice um, was a movie from the 90s with Helena Bonham Carter and I'm blanking on the name right now. Um, Which one? It's the one where um, she's in love with a, a, a poor man. And so she gets him to fall in love with a rich American her- heiress. In it's Venice. not the Wings of the Dove. It is, is it? Wings of the it's Dove. a Henry James. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I saw that. that one's set like half of it's in England mm-hmm. and the rest of it's in Venice. And that one is like all about like how abundant Venice is ah, and like. <laughs> there's another one that's worth seeing. It's not. Nearly... Or is room with a view there too. I don't know. I think that's in Florence. Okay, that's right. Um, but. Uh, it's uh, The Comfort of Strangers, mm-hmm. a movie that Paul Schrader, um, the screenwriter who wrote Taxi Driver, worked with Scorsese a lot, Raging Bull, um, he wrote and directed. And his career is kind of hit and miss. But um, for atmosphere and weirdness, he did a movie called The Comfort of Stranger with, I think, Willem Dafoe and... Ooh. <laughs> is Christopher Walken in it? Interesting. Anyway, it's about a couple and a mysterious stranger who kind of gets them into his weird web slash... You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I also set in Venice? Or? Yeah, and it's all about... Yeah, it's, it's set in Venice, but it's like nighttime Venice. Mm. And again, the cobblestones and the dark water yeah. and the like getting in over their heads with somebody they shouldn't get involved with who is dangerous in some way. I, I don't really remember anything yeah. about the plot. <laughs> I just remember... And it's not a great movie, yeah. but it's it's a good... It's, it's It seems to walk in the footsteps of, you know, yeah. Donald Sutherland and Don't Look Now. But yeah, I... This oh, that's by a story. That's from a story by Ian uh, McEwen. Oh, it's a short novella, a novel. I think we haven't. Probably, <laughs> we like Which, Ian McEwen. Oh, I wanted to. I, I forgot to add um, one. Another reason why I chose the film is because the source material for this movie, "Don't Look Now," 
comes from um, a story or a novella by Daphne du Maurier, who wrote Rebecca, Rebecca. which we both adore. And I mean, this is so different from Rebecca. Yeah. Um, But like, this was a book I picked up when we went on our trip to London in May. I got the book of Don't Look Now. um, We went to Hampstead. We saw Daphne du Maurier's um, house and uh, blue plaque and all that kind of stuff. Um, So we have some connections along the way that I was like, oh, let's watch this. I mean, as far as subject matter goes, that sort of, psychological dread is throughout Rebecca and both of them there's and you don't know what and is there sort of a there's definitely I mean this is about the supernatural right you've got the clairvoyance and stuff there's some strange stuff with yeah um, you know whether it's mental illness or or whether there's an actual ghost whether there's an actual ghost yeah yeah or whether it's just the crazy maid that was in love with her sort of thing yeah Mrs. Danvers <laughs> whatever became Mrs. of Mrs. Dan- Danvers where have you gone well, Mrs. Danvers well I mean I guess that's another reason why I was sort of suspicious of the older women you know because mm. like in well in Rebecca you know Miss Danvers is the you know and you know the the enemy of the young ingenue you know <laughs> one of the things I, I like or noticed about this film this time is like how real the marriage seems between these two people like they're really it's not just they're well cast but they like they there's this sense of everyday familiarity and companionship and like long-term love and and, you know in in the quiet moments when they're just going about their business or the crazy and intense sex scene yeah that's that was weird so that was really (laughs) controversial yeah this is this movie came out in 1973 and the film was almost rated R or X. Mm-hmm. It almost didn't get past the censors because of that. And for years... They were upset about his arm. That arm no, was no. weird. No, <laughs> no, no. Um, that really bothered me. His arm okay, was in a really uh, awkward position. We have to give a sense of... So <laughs> the movie, the this, this, this famous sex scene between Donald Sutherland and Julie Christie... Um, it's, it's long. Well, it's long. It's cut to music and it's like montage style editing where, um, like cuts don't like, there's lots of jump cuts. Things don't flow from what, you know, somebody moves an arm and then it's a close up of like a neck going back and the head. And then like, a you know, it's it's like an an eighties music video or something. (laughs) It's more like a, uh, eighties, uh, cinema, skinamax movie or something. No, it's not. No, because those are usually set to like slow music and... So this is like taking... This is like somebody who saw Hiroshima Mon Amour a million Mm -hmm. times and then wanted to edit a sex scene. I mean, it's got like... It's like French New Wave like editing with a sex... But if you remember the other eccentric thing about... uh, this scene in the editing is that there's this weird time parallel time thinking thing, which is really interesting. Like it cuts from beats in, in the making love to beats of them getting dressed dressed. afterwards. So you keep jump. It's a a flash forward. So you flash forward, flash back, flash forward. There is no present tense time. Um, So it's really interesting for that too. And I learned that the reason they edited that way was to get it, get this the movie past the censors because when they so just you, had the scene straight like people perceived seeing a lot more than they were seeing because but this way you could break it up in yeah. such a way you're not allowed to see any kind of a 
thrust. So they would cut with like somebody arches the back. And when you cut back after going to Donald Sutherland putting on his tie, you'd have to be really uncomfortable to make. I'm just, (laughs) well, the other thing about this, and you have to watch the documentary on the criterion sometime is for years. Um, there's been a rumor that they actually had sex when they shot this scene and everybody associated who was actually on set, like, denies that 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 no it's just you know it's what just does it a matter if they did i don't well <laughs> there's very few movies that i mean are there any movies where you can say that those actors well, actually had sex I, when I, they I, shot the I scene i don't know i mean like uh so the, it's the, the politics of that is it's very kind strange. of a notoriety yeah. sort of thing like i mean like, i don't want to sound like a prude but to me it just didn't it it what it wasn't necessary, I guess. Is I mean, it was fine. You didn't have on screen <laughs> sex yeah. in a in a regular you know playing down at the movie cinema. Well, but if you compare it to Rosemary's Baby, where there's like <clears throat> a, essentially a, mm-hmm. a, a a scene where she's raped by the devil, you know, right. which was shot similarly, you know, with cross edits and. You know, weird, scary things. So, I mean, there's some parallels with that. But this well, is we can more never a, see this with the yeah. eyes of people in 1973. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> so, but apparently, like you know, it was a big deal. Yeah. Well, well, like like I said, when it does make the whole movie come to a weird <laughs> yeah. halt, yeah. you know, for four minutes or something yeah. like that. I don't. I don't know. There's something about the. Um, I think it may be a little bit of like American puritism that's in me or something like that, but um, just the when it's presented on screen, sex versus intimacy, mm-hmm. you know, which are clearly in human relationships related and important and that sort of thing. But when you view it on screen, I don't know it. It's 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 very intimate, but it looks less intimate if that mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Like if if I'm thinking of an intimate scene in a movie, like two people hugging or holding mm-hmm. each other or something, feels a lot more intimate than well, you know, I would which argue, is obviously not the case. But <laughs> I would argue that this sex scene needs the cross cutting with them getting ready afterwards, and that those shots actually provide way more intimacy. Yeah than the sex scene alone does. And actually, if you just had the scene of them quietly getting, you know, the beats of them quietly getting together and her reaching around and tying his tie or, you know, that stuff, there's a lot of love in that and a lot of um, real intimacy and a lot of a feeling of a real marriage. And so I think I see what they're getting at. Like, they have both. Yeah. They And they also, I think the... um, the hunger yeah. that they're trying to depict yeah. in the sex scene comes out of their grief for their daughter. Yeah. And and they've already had the encounter with the sisters who, yeah. who've brought this all up again. Like, she's here with you now. You can't forget her. You're, you can be in Venice, but <laughs> this is still part of your everyday. And they need to come together like... Not violently, but yeah. it, it is a moment of love between this husband and wife who've, like really had their yeah. lives changed. Well, I, I do admire, because this is something that, I, I don't know if it's American specifically, but this an inability to accept that, that a marriage should have all of these things, you know, that, that there are 
things that are separate and mm-hmm. and I don't know. Anyway, I I don't think I explained that very accurately. Yeah, I'm not sure but, what you meant, but, but. um, <laughs> I I'm I don't. Maybe it's just because I'm 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 squeamish about watching sex on on thing or something like that. I, I don't yeah. know. If it Maybe feels so. like, it feels like it pulls me out of the movie, I guess, because there's. Well, <laughs> it feels so dated now yeah. because it's got this weird sort of like flute music and it and it's it's edited in that eccentric way. Oh, is it flute music? I oh, think yeah, I think so. I was going to make a comment about um, uh, flute, flute and rock and roll or something okay. like that. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, it does. I I was taken out of the movie too. Yeah. But I really like the tying the ties and the yeah getting yeah. the getting ready for dinner and all that kind of stuff. It's it, it anyway. I think we get you know it's a landmark scene for whatever reason, whether it works now or not. Well, another thing that I respect a lot about this movie is a lot of times when there's movies about parents that have lost a child, it becomes all about this like horrible hole that it leaves, and they send they spend the whole. I mean, like what is that? Um, there's some movie with Tom, what's his name, and Kim Bassinger where, you know, where they spend yeah. the whole movie like grieving loudly and yelling at each other about, right. you know, and, you know, these people have, you know, have found a way to. Well, after the horror yeah. of the first five minutes, you cut to them in a domestic, just having lunch together or something in Venice. And, and well, that's why it's, you, you And you almost don't know, like, wait, did that happen? Did they go back in is time? This, is this or, a flashback before yeah. that? Or Yeah. Talk to me. <laughs> about time in this movie Mm. and and editing i mean i don't know well this so the thing is like as soon as he sees his wife on like he thinks he sees his wife on this boat yeah in the grand canal when she's supposed to be in england like i don't know how long how i think it was just a day but it feels like like days where he's like wandering the streets looking for her and and like i kept being like why doesn't he just call (laughs) <laughs> like, I think it was just that day or yeah. that a few hours yeah, that day. Yeah, it was just a few hours, like because she flies back that evening or and something. And then he like does that. call, but yeah. you're you were from the moment he's like trying to get in touch with the detectives and stuff. He's like, why, why don't, don't you just, just call? call and see if she's there? <laughs> it reminds me somebody. Well, does do a, you know why? <laughs> because he believes his eyes. Yeah. He saw her go by on yeah. a boat like an hour ago. Well, and how can she be in at, England? At, he saw her with the two sisters. He saw the three of them together. And he's already he already has these worries about them and her, you know, yeah. gullibility and falling in with them. Well, and at some point, I, I don't remember. I guess one of the sisters realizes that he has a little bit of the foresight too. That's how he got the feeling that his daughter was drowning. Mm-hmm. Um, I I don't know if I can talk about this. We're so. about to head into that <laughs> section. I yes. think. Um, and we can set that up with during that gap when she's away and he's tr- wandering around trying to find her. He keeps seeing in the distance the ghost of his daughter, basically yeah. a, a, a figure yeah, in a red. rain red slicker, just like she wore the morning she drowned. Far away in the distance, walking up a dark staircase, turning a corner. He thinks he sees her. He yeah. sees. He does see somebody yeah. in a red slicker. And um, I think at this point, we're going to head into the spoiler zone. Yes, okay? spoilers. So if Warning. you've never seen Don't Look Now and you're at all you know, interested in take, checking it out, 
um, you should probably hit pause yeah. <laughs> and not listen to the rest of the, the episode until you see the film because we're going to head into what the, the larger meaning and some of the spoilers of, uh, of this story. So, okay. Yeah. All right, let's go. Okay, let's We're in the spoiler it. zone. So what do you want to say? In, about- in the, well, so it's pointed out that he has some level of clairvoyance and what he saw, which I didn't describe in full because I didn't want it to, to point out, yeah. Uh, is that he saw his wife on a boat with a coffin uh-huh. and these two women standing on either side of her. Now, did this register with you at the, when you saw that, that, that she was, you know... Yeah, the way they were standing... Did you make meaning of that in terms of... The, they, they were standing in a very formal way. I saw the flowers. They were I mean, black, I didn't... I, I didn't think. They were in black. I... Yeah. I, it didn't fully register, but I... Mm-hmm. I... I did see the flowers and the and the sort of formal way that they were standing. So, um, so he had when he, when he thought he saw his wife, he saw that. Mm-hmm. Um, so he becomes increasingly frantic and in trying to get in touch with his wife. He finally gets in touch with her, um, and she's flying back to Venice that evening, and they're mm-hmm. going to meet at a restaurant, I think. Um, and in the meantime, the police have rounded up the ladies that he accused of stealing his wife. Or kidnapping his wife. Like, they've been, he didn't know where they lived. He's been trying to describe their pension, and, like, yeah. you know, they finally track them down and they haul him into the jail. Well, and they separate them, too. They separated uh-huh. the blind woman from her friend. And then he has to basically come like, in and say, okay, I found my wife. Um, I think I made a terrible mistake. I'm really sorry. Well, and did you think the police detective was really creepy? I don't know, something about okay, the police. Okay, I have to tell you something about that. I learned since we saw the movie that the actor who played the police detective is Italian. Italian doesn't speak a word of English, and they gave him his, his words phonetically, and he didn't understand a word of what he was saying. Okay. So if you got like a weirdness like, going from that performance... <laughs> That actor had no idea what he was saying. He learned it. He learned his lines by sound. And um, so, yeah, <laughs> he was, a bit, it was a bit, I liked him, but yeah. it was, it was strange. So um, he, he actually, to apologize and, and because the blind woman needs a, a way back to her apartment, he walks her back to her apartment and apologizes. And that's when we find out that she sees that he has that same sort of clairvoyance mm-hmm. that, that, um, so she sends him away, I guess, or he goes to meet his wife and... But she falls down and has that weird clairvoyant, like, attack. Yeah. Where yeah. It's like, think the shining or something, yeah. you know, where she, like, falls to the floor, like, shivering and screaming and yeah. has... She Bring has, him back! Bring she has a seizure, back. I think, right? Yeah. She's like, he must not go! He yeah. must not go! But... He gets lost in in Venice before they can go retrieve him again. And nobody can find him, you know, (laughs) when he wanders out. Well, and his wife at this point has, um, she's come back. She gets on a boat and the guy on the boat is told, has been told to bring her to the police station. So she goes to the police station and the police station sends her back to the apartment so she's like a couple steps behind all of mm-hmm. this the whole time. So she arrives at the apartment just as he's left, and the woman is having this terrible clairvoyant, clairvoyant seizure ep- thing. episode thing. So she runs off, and then the last you know ten minutes of the movie is them. Um, he is going to the uh, restaurant where they're going to meet, and he sees. The, the raincoat, in red. The, mm-hmm. and he is chasing. He spends, you know, the last ten minutes chasing this, and 
and his wife in the meantime is trying to find him. So it's sort of like a chase scene mm-hmm. across the across Venice, across little um, bridges. Did we mention we didn't mention and- <laughs> we didn't mention that there's a series of murders going on in Venice too, and a body's been pulled a, uh, out of the canal oh, yeah. earlier on, and there's sort of a hunt for murder. Well, and we, you know the other thing we didn't talk about is the priest friend. <laughs> Well, yeah. nor did we talk about uh, Donald Sutherland dangling from the, the yeah, ceiling after that true, terrible which accident, whole, which also yeah. was predicted by the building. Yeah. So where are we going with this? Um, well, just that, you know, movies have to end. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, movies with great concepts and that are well executed otherwise sometimes have... Um, I, I, I did not like the very end last mm-hmm. scene. <laughs> I didn't like that that was the answer, I guess. I reject. <laughs> well, we can spoil this, <laughs> yes, right? So, the answer is, that's not his daughter in the not, rain slicker. It's a, it's, a, it's a little person. It's a little person in a red slicker who is the serial killer. Yes. Who stabs him and kills him. Yeah. <laughs> that, I don't know. So. <laughs> I wanted it to be like, the, the buildup was so big. That I wanted it to be something more interesting but I don't, than that. But that, you see, <laughs> I think that's the MacGuffin. Yeah. It doesn't matter yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> what, so to me, why that has a resonance is that he is clairvoyant. He does have the power. He did have the knowledge that his daughter was dying outside when he got up and ran out. He did... Um, he did see his wife in his own funeral procession yeah. before it happened. Yeah. He saw that. We, we come full circle at the end of the film where that scene actually happens now in chronological order. Yeah. After the murder scene, like his wife is on that boat with the two women. So he yeah. saw this, had this flash forward vision of his wife. He did see that. Yeah. He has the power. And his reaction to all of this stuff actually brings about his own death. Yeah. Exactly. So it's him who... Which is a classical... I mean, yeah. this is out of... So I like is... that. I, I, <laughs> I, I see what you're meaning about it's trite for, yeah. oh, the, the psychotic dwarf with the, with the knife yeah. in an alleyway out of nowhere. I just... Right? I wanted it but to it's be not a more po- poetic or more, you mm-hmm. know, like he's chasing her and it ends up being just a woman and he falls off of something or something. To me, that would have been more... You know, yeah. then stabbed in the I neck think by that, a... I think that could have worked just as well. Yeah. But I think the movie, for ultimately to justify, like, the way it's shot and edited and films, yeah. the way this, the, what we were given in the story, he needs to die in some way at the end. Yeah. Because this is huge that he, he basically foresees and brings about his own death. Yeah. And he does have a touch of whatever well, you want to call it, the shining or whatever. Because, yeah. like these women do, they see it in him. <sighs> well, this is just another, you know, as we've known from classical literature, yeah. if you only get half the prophecy, don't do anything. <laughs> it's true. Don't well, go marrying any older women. Well, the problem is, is the women, the, the two sisters understand that he has the gift, yeah. the gift or the curse. He doesn't know it. Yeah. Like he doesn't know it until the moment the the little person well, turns around with a knife. It's and then not a he, gift because you don't get the full picture. No. You know, you have to have the full, it, you, to do anything, you need a full picture and, you know. So what, 
so the ending sucks for you in, the, in at least in terms of that, that just that particular detail i mean like i love the scene the chase scene at the end that was great mm-hmm. you know as you said earlier <laughs> it's not about the little person yeah. in the rain slicker <laughs> yes. the movie is about yeah. venice and grief yeah and unease yeah and that hair on the back of your neck standing up foreboding um the sense of the sense that the supernatural is real yeah because i don't know at what point did you did you get like the sisters aren't just crazy or duping them but that did you feel like this in this world of this movie the supernatural was real or was that kind of like how how <laughs> how well does that work for you? That this is a world where the occult and and that well, in the way that Rosemary's Baby yeah. is terrifying and it's sort of everyday domesticity yeah. that actually results with the Satanists down the hall and yeah. you know the actual you know, spawn of the devil. Yeah, and you believe it <laughs> in your gut. Yeah. <laughs> well, those people could still be crazy. You know, yeah. that's the that's the beauty of it is that they could. They could be clairvoyant or they mm-hmm. could be crazy. And there's no real division between the two. And that's the the magic of the human mind, I think, is mm-hmm. that that we have the ability to perceive things or make suppositions. It's not clairvoyance, but we have this, I don't know, it's magical thinking is what it is, you know, mm-hmm. and it's... Uh, it's and it's an incredible thing about the human mind and that we can tell stories that are like this that are rooted in in realness and have this sort of supernatural feel about them but really they could go either way there could be a perfectly rational explanation there could be a dwarf in a raincoat which is not a rational explanation but <laughs> I, I I just I, I think a dwarf in a raincoat is never the rational explanation no it's not. this isn't the David Lynch movie after all. Um, and I'm, I apologize if that's the that's the wrong terminology. Um, so I, I don't know. I I, lo- I like this kind of movie that explores the possibility. I'm a romantic. Mm-hmm. I I love the idea of fate and magic. And I I you know, rash on a rational side of me, I don't believe in those things. Mm-hmm. But I like them, and I like stories about them. And I like I, it when a movie or a book can make me feel for a time like there is more than I understand and that this, yeah. that there, there is something out there, yeah. something terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then you get to switch on the light yeah. afterwards yeah. and feel a little bit weird about walking down the hall. <laughs> yeah. Well, I just, I remember, you know, talking about, if we ever go to Venice, the, I'm going to bring a red rain slipper. Uh, okay. <laughs> well, I just remember like, especially when I was a kid and like, there's this energy about old places mm-hmm. and it, I get that feeling whenever, like, when you go to England and everything's old Mm -hmm. and, you know, you're walking around and, like, things have been there for 500 years. And even if there's no spirits, per se, there's this energy of, like, humans having lived in this. And I'm sure Venice is like that. But, like, we went to this. We went to a a hotel, a Victorian hotel in Turkey, Texas, me and my brother with my parents. And he was like eight and I was like 10, you know, and like, it was probably the oldest place we'd stayed in. Well, I mean, we'd been to the East coast, so they're probably older stuff, but like, we just kind of got into this thing where we were telling 
each other these ghost stories about. There was no, it wasn't like there was like (laughs) a plaque on the wall that said there was a ghost here. We just started. And then like, we like scared the crap out of each other. We couldn't sleep the whole night. We were scared of the ghost. Holy crap. As an adult, (laughs) as an adult, I had an experience where I was in an old B and B in London. (laughs) Yeah. Woke up in the middle of the night and absolutely sensed and felt like there was somebody sitting in the rocking chair. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> terrible like i still like that still freaks me it's out it's funny how you can convince yourself you can be <clears throat> like you know co- i mean and as i i think that like i said i do think that there there's there gets to be this sense this weighty sense of humanness of mm-hmm. having lived in a certain place you know like when we're wandering around london and hearing about when we went into the jack the ripper thing yeah. You know, and, and, you know, they finally, there's not much left of what it looked like then, but they found this dark alleyway to kind of show us what it was like at the time. And, you know, you feel the energy and like you could see how life would be and that, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and how things would be different and, you know, just, I don't know. It's, it's something kind of magical about telling ghost stories like that. It's. It is. Yeah. <laughs> well, we are way over time. This is, this is our longest episode yet. Oh, really? Um, but it was a great conversation. Yeah. <laughs> I love this movie. Um, yeah. Um, I'm glad you liked it. Yeah. For the most part, or you know. Well, like I said, I'm I'm very good at at liking. Yeah. Taking parts of it, and I don't like, and still loving the whole. Yeah, you can value. Experience. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Okay, <laughs> I think that we have to call it a day yeah. on on Don't Look Now. Do you remember the name of the movie? Don't, Don't look, now. look Now. So, and next time, which we will record actually quite soon, I think we're going to do Halloween because um, Dave had never the original seen John Halloween. Carpenter. Yes, I had never seen it. I had never good. seen any of the Halloween movies, and um, we will take that on next time. Yeah. Thank you for listening. If you've made it all this <laughs> way through the show. Um, And if you haven't seen this movie, please check it out. It's so good. Okay. Um, We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.